the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. great on the outside and he's got everything going for him as far as like you know the court of public opinion what's more important remember what the bible says about david god looked for a man after god's heart see he's more interested in what's going on in here folks than what's going on out here what's going on in your heart your relationship with the lord your walk with the lord is much more important than appearances appearances are very deceiving God looks past what you do for Him. He looks past how your material life looks and what you've accomplished. He looks at why you do what you do. Do you do it to bring Him glory? Do you live to include Him in every part of your life? Today, Pastor Gary is going to point out that God looks at your heart and where your value is. He looks at what you trust in. There's no limit to what He can do through you if you let Him. If you turn to Him for salvation and live according to His Word and what it says. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 9 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We're going to be looking here at 1 Samuel chapter 9. All right, so if you're new or just to remind us where we are, the nation of Israel is being led right now by judges slash prophets. Samuel, after whom the book is named, is a prophet that God has raised up to speak to the nation of Israel and to lead them and to guide them in the Lord's ways. So at this particular time in Israel's history, they are pretty much functioning as a legitimate theocracy where God is king, and God directs the people through his leaders that he raises up, and he has raised up Samuel here to be a prophet to the people. The problem is that people don't want an earthly prophet or an earthly judge. They would rather have an earthly king. And the reason they want an earthly king is because they like the way that the nations around them are being governed which is a big problem because the nations around them are pagan nations. They do not follow after the ways of the Lord. And so they have earthly kings. And the people cry out and they say to Samuel, we want an earthly king just like the neighboring nations around us. And God speaks to Samuel. And God says, don't take it personally, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And so God says to Samuel, speak to the people and tell them in a nutshell, here's what they're going to get. And the end of chapter 8, Samuel uses the word take six times. 
Because the government led by a king is going to take, 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 and take. Whereas God is going to give, 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 and give. If you want to be subject to an earthly king, get ready because the government is going to take from you. And all of the end of chapter 8, he says, they're going to take your sons into an army. They're going to take your sons and daughters into civil service to help run the government. They're going to take through taxation your livestock, a portion of your vineyards. So you all are going to be robbed. They're going to take, take, take from you. And the people say, sounds good to us. (laughs) They're delusional. Sounds good to us. And so God says basically this to Samuel. Go ahead and tell them. That's what they want. That's what they'll get. And we'll see how much they really like being ruled by an earthly king instead of really governed by me. So God gives the people what they want. Now, it's not that God has, you know, acquiesced to their request as if they are dictating to God what God needs to do. But there are times in our lives when we think we're smarter than God. No show of hands. All right. But it's probably the testimony of all of us at some point. We think we can do something better. We don't really think that, you know, out loud, but subconsciously, when we make decisions that we think we can do without really consulting God or that we can do better than God, God will sometimes give us what we want just so that we can see how miserable we really are without him. And that's what's going to happen here with the nation of Israel. God says, go ahead, give them a king. They want a king, give them a king. And so we're going to be introduced to the first king of Israel. But they got to this place, just by way of quick review here, Israel's shift from a theocracy to a monarchy was due in large part to four things. Number one, they had become disappointed with spiritual leadership. Number two, they had become dissatisfied with being different. You know, they wanted to be just like the nations around them. Number three, they had become distant from God. And number four, they had become distracted by worldly influences. And as I said last week, you know, we need to learn from this because an imminent threat to your relationship with God is when you are driven by a desire to be just like everyone else. This is the problem with the nation of Israel. We want to be like the nations around us. We want to have earthly kings. And it will be to their own demise in many ways, at least uh, spiritually speaking, for sure. God is merciful. You know, they're not going to be destroyed as a nation. He's continually merciful throughout the Bible, even to this day. But they will suffer the consequences of their choices. So, in chapter 9, we are introduced now to the first king of Israel. His name is Saul. His name in Hebrew is Shaul. Shaul means asked or prayed for. And so, here's his lineage. Chapter 9, verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin. Okay, remember, there are 12 tribes of Israel, so this is the tribe of Benjamin. So, we find out that Saul belongs to the tribe of Benjamin. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. Now, this is Saul's father for the moment as we're introduced to Saul. Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekarath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. Now, some of your translations will say a man of social standing. Okay, it really means that he was wealthy and influential. So that's what we find out about the family that Saul was born into, a very wealthy, influential family. So verse 2 says, And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. 
All right, so we get a description of Saul right here from the beginning. Four things from verses 1 and 2. It tells us first he's tall. tells us that he's basically a head taller than anyone else. So he's a complete head taller than anyone else. So you have to imagine him in a crowd. He completely stands out, literally head and shoulders above anybody else. Now, archaeologists have discovered, based on skeletal remains, that the average height of a man in this day was 5'6". So it's not like he was, you know seven feet, um, he might have been six feet would have been, you know, head and shoulders above somebody. Uh, so somewhere probably most Bible scholars think six feet to six four, which would have been out of the ordinary in that day. So he's tall and he's handsome. In fact, it says they're more handsome than anyone else, taller than anyone else, more handsome than anybody else. He's on the cover of People magazine, sexiest man alive kind of a thing. And so there he is, Saul, tallest guy, most handsome person, and he's from a wealthy, influential family, and he's in the prime of his life because verse 2 says he was a choice and handsome son. The word choice there in Hebrew is bakur, and bakur means young or basically in the prime of his life. So the choice season of his life. This is Saul, okay? He had everything going for him in terms of appearance and family heritage, Wealthy, influential family, you're taller than anybody, you're more handsome than anybody. By the way, I I read um, this study that was conducted, you might find this interesting. Research indicates that tall, good-looking people make more money and get more promotions. An economics professor the name of Daniel Hammermesh, who's professor emeritus at, at UT Austin, he wrote a book called Beauty Pays, Why Attractive People Are More Successful. And in his research, his research shows that beautiful people earn a higher salary than average-looking folk. And he also shows that good-looking individuals are employed sooner, get promoted more quickly, and tend to have higher-ranking jobs in companies. And so Hammermesh predicts that, quote, plain people will eventually receive the same kinds of legal protection extended to Americans with disabilities because he calculates that over a person's lifetime, on average, good-looking people earn $230,000 more than plain people. And he says it will open up the potential for discrimination lawsuits. Now, here's where I started wondering. Okay, so if that's true, you know, like, for example, when there's racial discrimination on the job, Like, you have to be that race that you were discriminated against to have a lawsuit. If, like, there's age discrimination, you have to kind of be, you know, older in order for you to claim a lawsuit. So here's what I want to know. Who determines you're ugly? Like, who's the plane police? Do you walk into a lawyer's office and say, you know what, I was discriminated against, I'm not making as much money as the good-looking people in my office, and the lawyer looks at you and goes, yeah, you got a case. I mean, that would be, that would be terrible. But anyway, the research is out there. Tall, good-looking people make more money, they're hired more quickly, they're promoted more quickly. This is Saul. He's like got everything going for him from the outside. What's interesting, though, is what's missing in this description. We have he's tall, we have he's handsome, we have he, he, he uh, is from a wealthy, influential family, and he's in the prime of his life. But what is missing is any description about his spiritual life. And the reason is because there isn't one. And we will find out as we go through the rest of 1 Samuel that this guy is a rather complicated guy who looks good on the outside, but on the inside he's got some, some literal demons. We'll find in the course of his life 
that he disobeys God because he doesn't follow the instructions through the prophet Samuel. That's going to be his first mistake. And he spirals. I mean, he literally goes really insane. Um, It's safe to say that because he even tries to kill his own son. He tries to kill, later in his life, he tries to kill David. He does slaughter 85 priests who helped David. And he consults a witch and engages in a seance later in his life. So while he looks great on the outside and he's got everything going for him, as far as like, you know, the court of public opinion, what's more important? Remember what the Bible says about David. God looked for a man after God's heart. See, he was more interested in what's going on in here, folks, than what's going on out here. What's going on in your heart, your relationship with the Lord, your walk with the Lord, is much more important than appearances. Appearances are very deceiving. You know, the people look at Saul and go, yep, that's our king. Tall, good-looking, wealthy, influential family, that's our guy. Well, he, he was going to be God's choice, too, but uh, it's just interesting to note here all these factors that were going for him, but his spiritual walk wasn't there. Well, it tells us in verse 3, now the donkeys of Kish, so his dad's donkeys, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And so he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. And then they passed through the land of Shalim, and they were not there. And then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. Now, it'll tell us later, further in chapter 9, verse 20, that we learn they go hunting for these lost donkeys for three days. And on average, a man can walk about 20 miles in a day. So he's been gone three days. So this is at least 60 miles he's away from home looking for these donkeys. So dad's donkeys have gotten away. Now remember, you know, donkeys in that day were very valuable beasts of burden. They would haul things. You would ride them. So this is like, you know, a Ford F-150. This is like a pickup truck. And like all of a sudden, you know, your dad's pickup trucks, a fleet of pickup trucks are missing. You're going to go hunting and you're going to go find them. And so he's on this mission. And what we're going to find out is that God is going to use these donkeys to direct Saul's life. Because you see, Saul isn't inclining his ear to the voice of the Lord. And so sometimes when we're not really inclining our ear to the voice of the Lord, God will use other things to get our attention. And so while at first this looks like, this is kind of odd, just like he's searching for lost donkeys, but God's going to, you'll see here in a moment, he's going to use these lost donkeys to bring Saul to meet Samuel. And so here we go. And so verse 5 says, And when they had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And he said to him, the servant said to him, Look now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. Now, your attention for a moment. They're not interested in finding Samuel for the sake of, like, spiritual growth or discipleship. They just want help finding the donkeys. So, like, you know, this just kind of indicates 
They're not really seeking God. They're just seeking the donkeys. But there's a guy. He has a reputation. By the way, I love Samuel's reputation there. They're referring to Samuel. He's a man of God, verse 6. He's an honorable man, verse 6. And what he says comes to pass, verse 6. Those three things about Samuel, very telling of his character and of his walk with the Lord. So they're interested in finding this guy, finding Samuel, so they can have help finding the donkeys. That's really their mission. So so it says in verse 7, And then Saul said to his servant, But look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Um, By the way, this is a very typical Middle Eastern culture. I have some Middle Eastern friends. In fact, I had breakfast with Ayman this morning, and he showed up with uh, gifts for my wife. And, And typically, whenever I have conversation with any of my Arab friends, like I have some Muslim Arab friends, Every time we get together, they'll bring me something. They just are very gift-oriented, and you you don't go someplace empty-handed. And so they look at each other like, well, if we're going to, you know, find this man of God, we can't go empty-handed. So that's a very Middle Eastern, you know, we should learn that. I mean, sometimes Americans are sensitive, that kind of thing. But you don't usually show up at somebody's house empty-handed if you can help it. You you bring something. Here's a little gift. Here's a little housewarming thing. Here's something for the dinner, whatever it is. And so they're like, well, what do we have? Well, we we have moldy bread. We've been gone for three days. We don't really have much to offer. And the servant says, well, I got a fourth of a shekel. Fourth of a shekel. I translated that in terms of what silver is selling for today. It's less than 10 bucks. Well, we got in today's dollar value. We got a little bit less than 10 bucks. Okay. So I was like, all right, well, let's do that. Now it tells us in verse 9, a parenthetical comment. Verse 9, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. So that's a little helpful point for us to understand. So verse 10, then Saul said to his servant, well said, you got 10 bucks, well said, come, let us go. And so they went to the city where the man of God was. And as they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? Now, I was reading this commentary today about this passage, and um, Jewish tradition says that normally the women would not have answered these strange men, except that Saul is tall and the best-looking guy in the whole country. And so they're quick to give him an answer. Well, yes, we know exactly where this ear is. Yeah, thank you very much. Can I follow you on Tinder? You know, it's that kind of a thing. So they say, they answered in verse 12 and said to him, Yes, there he is, just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to the city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. As soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. And afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now, therefore, go up, for about this time you will find him. And so they went up to the city, and as they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now, verse 15, Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel. 
that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. Now again there you see the mercy of God, because he doesn't just say, fine, you want a king? Great, good luck, goodbye. He says, fine, you want a king? You're going to see this isn't as good as if I'm your king, but nevertheless I'm not going to abandon you because your cry has come up to me. So we see God's mercy threaded all through the Bible. Just his tender heart towards people. What's interesting to me is there in verse 15 where it says, Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear. You see, Samuel had a relationship with God that Samuel could hear from the Lord, and Saul really didn't. And so what is God using in Saul's life? Donkeys. Can I just say this? There are going to be some donkeys God uses in your life to direct you to the place where he wants you to go even if you don't necessarily have an ear to hear him, because he cares. And so one way or another, he's going to get our attention. He's going to speak to us. He will either speak gently. Now, I'm not saying necessarily he will speak audibly, although I'm not discounting that. But most of the time, God will speak in those inaudible ways and confirm things by his spirit through his word in your life. But I love the way that this is kind of a contrast of the ways that we discern the will of God, and yet God in his mercy continues to direct us either because he speaks into our ear or because he directs us through some stray donkeys. They're here for this divine appointment because they've been following after lost donkeys. And you know, when I look back in the rearview mirror of my life, I thank God that when I was not really listening to him, he still sent a few stray donkeys my way to guide and direct my life. So here Saul is in this encounter now with Samuel, and God says to Samuel, this is the guy I told you about yesterday. This is that guy. And so it says in verse 17, so when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you, this one shall reign over my people. And then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, please tell me, where is the seer's house? And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. Which is kind of a scary thing. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, now notice Saul hasn't said anything about his lost donkeys, but this is, you know, by revelation of the Lord. So Samuel's just like speaking right into his heart, like, by the way, you're looking for donkeys, aren't you? And he says, as far as your donkeys are concerned that you lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? And Saul answered and said, and, you know, noticeably he's like shocked. He goes, am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Now, this is similar, by the way. Remember Gideon argued with the angel of the Lord too and said, I'm of the tribe of Manasseh, the smallest tribe, and my family's the least, and who am I? This actually is an indication that Saul is trying to be humble here. Benjamin was a tiny tribe of Israel, but he's not completely accurate here because he comes from a wealthy, influential family. So it's not like his family is really the least among the tribe of Benjamin. Every tribe was broken into clans, and then every clan was broken down into families. And Saul comes from a wealthy, influential family. But he still, this isn't false humility here. He really is... He's struck here by what 
Samuel is prophesying into his life. And Saul, he's caught off guard by this. He's a little taken back by this. What do you mean? What do you mean, you know, like, this calling is on my life. And on whom is the desire of Israel? Like, I'm a nobody. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of 1 Samuel. This book is packed full of practical applications for our lives today. We follow three main characters, Saul, David, and of course Samuel, through a series of crossroads and decisions they faced during the early days in Bible times. It is here that we find the victory of David over Goliath and the development of a new prophet in young Samuel. We also find the fall of the king in Saul as a reminder of the consequences of disobedience to God. As Samuel told Saul in chapter 15, verse 22, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear the truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m., and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in fellowship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to this teaching from 1 Samuel today on Cornerstone Connection. Got no place to go, but still you know, but still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.